The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hey, how are y'all doing today? Hot. It's hot. And I love it that it's cold in here because I got a new rag and I'm going to break it in today for y'all. Love you guys. Hey, I know that our emotions is kind of like playing spin the wheel, right? Once you spin it, where it stops, no one knows, and not even you and I. I remember when Facebook, the only thing you could do on Facebook was like a post or comment on it. Nowadays, not only can you give it like a nice thumbs up, now you got like a nice heart symbol or you got this plethora of little emojis that you can place at your disposal to show the watching world exactly how you feel. Facebook is super famous right now for asking its members before it posts, how are you feeling today? And so if any of you are in the therapy business, your greatest revenue stream is probably right there on your friends list and you can spin the wheel of news feeds and you'll say, Feeling frustrated, you'll see feeling happy, feeling angry, feeling tired. Nowadays in our society, we're no longer even feeling real emotions. We are feeling sound effects. I'm feeling blah. I'm feeling ah. I'm feeling ah. Like, what is that? I'm not even sure if that's even a real word or not, but no matter the emotions, each and every one of us right here, we battle the same tension. And that's the tension of wanting and getting what we want right here, right now, today. Because let's face it, if it's good, why can't I have it right now? We have a culture that is constantly teaching us to say, I want and I should demand microwave results, instant satisfaction, instant gratification, instant success. I want what I want, and I want it right here, and I want it right now. I'm sure you parents can relate. If you're trying to offer your children something and it's really, really good, but they don't want to wait for it, they'd rather have something that they can have right now, even if what's later is actually better. Because in the wise words of Sweet Brown, YouTube sensation, ain't nobody got time for that. Not a single one. I remember when I was a teenager, all I ever wanted to do was drive. I wanted to drive fast. And this was my mom's worst nightmare and probably my dad's greatest dream because he's no longer a chauffeur to me. And I remember I had saved up all this money and they took me to this auto auction. And the thing about an auto auction is you cannot drive the car out of the lot. But what you can do is you can inspect it. So I had seen this nice red Mitsubishi Mirage. And I had seen some pictures of Mitsubishi Mirages that guys had bought and they had souped it up. They had decked it out, got some nice shiny wheels. So rather than inspecting, I'm over here daydreaming about what I can buy for this car before I had even bought it. So $1,500 later, right? I mean, all, all of a sudden you're already thinking, what can you buy with $1,500? But $1,500 later, I was the proud owner of a red Mitsubishi Mirage, and I was super pumped up, super excited until I found out that the possibility of this car being remotely drivable was also a mirage. And it was traveling much faster than the actual vehicle. And they said it was gonna cost me more money than that had already saved up. So I left the lot that day 
with no car, no $1,500, because there was no refund. But that doesn't stop us, does it? We still want what we want, when we want it, and we want it right away. Why? Because you and I, we live with this dread. We live with this indifference towards the future because we don't want to miss a certain opportunity. I don't want to let this opportunity pass me by, or I don't want to miss out on buying that item. Yeah, it's, it's on sale, but what if it's not on sale next week? I got to have it today because I want to be the first one to get it. And so we have this response that I, I should get whatever I want right away and just can the rest. And so our collective response is kind of like my own personal one. Live right now, enjoy the pleasures right now, soak it in, and just enjoy the moment. How's that working for you? How's the spin working for our lives? The Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to the church of Galatia. And in this letter, in essence, he was telling them, don't be led by your emotions. Don't be, don't be led by, by teachings that is contrary to the teachings that I've taught you. In essence, don't be led by the spin. He said, be led by the spirit of God. And he started going down a list of traits of what it looked like for an individual to be led by God's spirit. And so in the book of Galatians chapter five, this is what he says to the people. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If you're like me, you can read that first part and say, man, those are really, really good, and I should have it right now. But we miss the second part of that passage of Scripture where you have to be led by something other than your own desires in every aspect of your lives. And if we were honest, the fourth one on Paul's list, patience, is probably the hardest one for us to, to attain. Why? Because I need joy, and I need joy right now because I got in this argument, and Monday is coming, and my mindset is not ready to go back to work just yet. I need some self-control right now because I got this coworker next to my cubicle that just keeps yip, 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 and he keeps showing me pictures of his cat, and I don't even like cats. I, I'm going to need some self-control because I got this little little chihuahua that's in my neighborhood that just keeps barking and barking. So I'm going to need some self-control, Pastor Jay, before, before I, I, I kick it to the other, the other corner of our neighborhood. I, I need some kindness. You don't understand, Pastor Jay. I need some kindness like yesterday because my kids, they haven't had a nap yet, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to go crazy if I don't have some kindness. I'm going to need some love, some goodness because I'm still upset at this, this person. And so we find that getting out of that spin, separating ourselves from that spin is so much harder than it seems. It's almost like you and I, we, we get stuck. Like we've been building a foundation on wet cement and it hasn't set yet. So there's no substance to our life. There, there's no strength to our life. So when we pursue what we want and we get it, we realize it's not really what we thought it was. And we don't have the, the right stability to stand up to our decisions in life. And so today, what I want us to do, I want to take a look at an individual in the Bible. His name is David. And he had his own spin cycle of emotions. But what I want us to see is that God produced something in David despite all the things that he was going through in his life. 
So Israel at that time was a nation that was dealing with a culture that was collapsing under wet cement. It was collapsing under the foundation of borrowed credit, instant gratification, and also, let's just say, unjourneyed experience. And so God said, it's time for a new guy to be in charge. It's time for for a new form of leadership. So he sends out his prophet, a messenger named Samuel. He says, go to the house of Jesse, and in the house of Jesse, you will find my next king. So Samuel goes to Jesse's home. He goes to every single one of Jesse's sons. He sees his firstborn son. He was tall. He was handsome. And he said, surely this guy looks kind of like the king that we've got. He's got to be the right one. And God says, no, 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 no. He's not the right one. You see, man looks at the outside appearance, but God, he looks at the inside. So he keeps going down and still to no avail, no king in the house. So in his last ditch effort, Samuel is going to Jesse and he asks him this question in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says, then Samuel asked Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome and beautiful eyes. He was a good looking dude. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil that he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. We can close the passages of scripture right now and say, okay, and they lived happily ever after. God's got his king. David's going to go sit on his throne. In our minds, it should have happened right away, but that wasn't God's timeline. You see, God had a process before he unfolded the full plan to David. God had a process before he granted the fullness of his promise to David. Just because God promised David to be king didn't mean that David could wear the crown right away. And so now David is anointed. He's divinely picked of God right in front of his brothers. You would think if that was me, I'm going to Saks Fifth Avenue trying to get me a nice little jacket, practicing my kingly wave, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my, my mind psyched. I'm trying to get my, 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 my whole demeanor ready to be king because I'm going to rule an entire nation. So you would think that God would promote him to this next high level of leadership. So he's anointed, but he gets promoted to be an attendant a server playing music for the current king, King Saul. He's like the DJ to King Saul. And all of a sudden, he hears about this battle that everyone is scared to fight because it's, it's against a giant named Goliath. And so David overhears and says, I'll fight him. Shoot, they can't be talking about my God like that. They can't be talking about my people like that. I'll fight him. So he fights him and he wins. David's stardom goes through the roof. He's like a rock star. He's a hero in the eyes of everyone. And any one of us would say, all right, God, I, I can see where you slowed him down and he's taking care of sheep. Now, it's got to be the right time. Everybody loves him, God. Every, everybody thinks he's a hero. He just killed the greatest villain that, that, that's been terrorizing our country, God. Now is the right time. 
but rather than receiving the kingdom, David was running for his life because Saul, the king, got so jealous he wanted to kill him. So this became a constant cat and mouse relationship. Saul, it got so bad that Saul tried to send David in this impossible battle mission so that he would die in the line of fire because David said, if I win this battle, then I can marry your daughter. And so Saul said, okay, let's, let's go. And, and David wins. Saul's plan foils. And now he's the rightful heir. He's the son-in-law to Saul. And so David would run and hide continuously. Saul would try to hunt him down and, and chuck spears. I don't know about you guys, but next time you see your in-laws, give them a huge hug. Give them a, a kiss on the cheek. And when they ask you, hey, what was that for? Say, hey, thanks for not trying to kill me today or right now. Because I assure you, your in-laws were probably not as bad as King Saul. And, 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 and so where we're going to pick up this passage of scripture is David is in the midst of hiding, and Saul is right after him. And so in 1 Samuel 24, this is what happened. It said, Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes, some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further in the back of that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you will. So David crept forward to cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed for the Lord himself has chosen him. Now, now's the time, David, go kill him. Go strike right now, David. He's in hiding. Saul's in deep pursuit. And I love the Bible because this is no typo. It said that Saul was relieving himself in the same cave that David and his men were at. This guy was literally going number two while David and his merry men were just in front row seats watching this whole thing unfold. And so they're, they're saying, okay, now's the time. His hands, are, his hands are pretty much tied. Kill him right now, David. I mean, take it. Take your revenge. Take your kingdom. It, it's yours for the taking today. And, and, and David, I don't know how he did it, but he held himself from killing Saul. And he cut the hem of, of the robe of Saul. And in the next couple of verses, you'll see that he waited until Saul finishes doing his business. And he waited until he came out. And this is what he says. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I'll never harm you. May the Lord therefore judge which one of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. This is an incredible display of character on David's end. God literally slowed down the process to David's promise because God wanted to produce something much more powerful than a promotion. 
You get that? God, God slowed down the process because he saw something much more powerful than a kingdom for David. He saw something much more powerful than a crown for David. God slowed down the process so, so that he could produce patience in David. Patience that is more valuable than any kingdom, any throne, or any crown. Maybe you're right here right now and you're experiencing, man, I, I think God is taking way too long on what he's doing. Perhaps God is slowing down the process because he's trying to plant something in you today. Maybe God is slowing down your process to, to his promise because he sees something that he wants to produce in you first. So what can we learn from this little would-be king that cuts off the hem of his father-in-law's robe? Do you have something to write with? I want to encourage you to take some notes. In your program, there's a place to take notes. You can download the app just like what Pastor Corey said. Or you can, you can choose to, to just go old school, use a pen, use that program, do it like that. Here's our big idea for today is that we must wait on God's timing See, the character of patience goes contrary to everything our culture teaches us. It goes contrary to everything that's driving inside of us. There is an inner drive inside you and I that is impatient, that desires instant satisfaction and instant gratification. And so waiting for God's timing may mean that we don't get what we want right away or even ever. Waiting on God's timing may mean that we're being led by something other than the spin. Waiting on God's timing may mean that we have to change directions or even slow down, and that's impossible for us. Why? Because of sin. See, there, there's this innate drive inside you and I that says, I will do whatever it takes to please me. I will do whatever it takes to make me feel good right now, not knowing that that spin cycle of sin leads us further away from God. Eventually, it leads us to our own death, physically and spiritually, where we would be separated from God and all things good for all of eternity. In our head, we're thinking, I'm doing good for myself Unknowingly, we're actually separating ourselves from the ultimate good that God can give to you and I. So God sees this chaotic spin cycle. He says, I'm going to stop this. I love them so much. I'm going to stop this. So I, I'm going to send my son to save them from sin. So Jesus, when, when he went to the cross, he went with the sole purpose to stop the spin so that we could be led by the spirit. So when Jesus died, all of our shame, our guilt, the consequences of our nature was heaped upon his life. And in his death, he defeated death once and for all. So that those that would believe in Jesus by faith will be forgiven. You see, it's not just that, though. God didn't send his son just to die. He sent his son to eradicate the spin, eradicate sin, to, to stop death in in. In total. And so when, when Jesus died, he triumphantly rose again, defeating sin and the grave and the spin. And so the same spirit that raises him up is the same spirit that he offers you and I. So not only are we forgiven, we can have a brand new life through the power of the resurrection of Christ. So how do we receive this new life? God gives to us his invisible eternal spirit, and he makes his home into our lives. The spin moves out, spirit moves in. There's a new person that's leading you right now. It leads you into a path that pleases God. So you don't, know, you don't have to chase after your own pleasures. You don't have to chase after your own desires. This spirit allows you to live for eternity pleasing God. So 
how do we wait on God's timing for our lives? I want to give you two complimentary thoughts today, and the first is this. We wait on God's timing by not cutting corners. David proved that patiently waiting on God's timing meant not cutting corners. It meant that you're not going to take matters into your own hands so that you can get whatever you want right now and right away. See, not cutting corners means that you're willing to do the right thing even when no one else is watching. For David, that wasn't the case. There was a whole bunch of guys that was waiting for him to act, waiting for him to do something. They were whispering in his ear, and this is what they were saying. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward, cut off the piece of the hem of Saul's robe, but then David's conscience began to bother him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said, now's your opportunity, David. Strike right now. Even God himself has given you the green light, David. Take his life. Take your kingdom. It's yours for the taking right now. But David says, no, no, I can't do it. It's not the right thing to do. Because doing the wrong thing, even when it seems like it's the right time, is still the wrong thing. There's an incredible lesson in this passage of scripture that you and I can learn from. And that, that means that patiently waiting on God's timing means we're not, we're not going to cut corners. There's no easy way out. There's no quick fixes. There's no hidden, hidden scheme. Cutting corners is a trap. The more corners that you cut, you'll have to keep keep cutting them and eventually it ends up cutting you see the right thing is normally it's the hard thing the right thing is normally the most difficult thing to do the right thing is normally the most uncomfortable thing to do and I'm not sure if you're you're like me but I've noticed that doing the right thing sometimes has to be done in what I would consider the wrong time no, I don't want to say I'm sorry just yet because I'm still upset. No, I'm, I'm not trying to put someone else's needs before mine because really I think my needs are more important right now. No, I'm not going to let this guy cut in front of me on, on 81 because I've been waiting here for an hour and they look like they just woke up. So it's not my fault they're late. They're going to have to wait just like me. But we still have to do the right thing. Because God's timing is always on schedule. And God's timing always requires us to do the right thing. And so we've got to be willing to do the right thing, even when it's not easy, even when it's not popular. For David, that wasn't the popular thing for him to do, to spare Saul's life. His man said, kill him right now, kill him right now. And it said that David's conscience began to bother him the moment he cut that corner. Because he cared more about God's timing than he cared about his own timeline to the throne. He cared about God's plans and, and, and God's pleasures and his purposes rather than what he thought he deserved he should have. Sure, David could have killed Saul right away, right then and there. He could have struck him dead. But at what cost? Let me ask you, at what cost are you willing to do it? You see, the, the corners that you and I will choose to cut those corners get sharper and sharper every time we cut them. And what we lose sight of so many times is that those, those points are directed to you and I. So what we have to do is we have to purpose in ourselves to do the right thing. 
whether anyone is watching, whether no one is watching. What we should desire right here, today, right now, is the knowledge of what is the right thing to do in advance. What is the thing that you and I will never compromise in? You figure that out right now because in the heat of the moment, that's much harder to figure out. So decide right now what I'm going to continue to do regardless if I get that promotion or not. What am I going to continue to do regardless if, if they recognize me or not, regardless if I get this pat on the back or not? What am I going to purpose myself to do no matter when I have to do it, no matter how long I have to do it, no matter who recognizes me or how everything else falls into play? Why do we do that? Because a clear conscience will always make the softest pillow. Waiting on God's timing means that we're willing to do the right thing no matter the cost. We're, we're willing to, to do the right thing even when it does not benefit us. Because if we're waiting just to get what we want, that's not really called patience. That's just called tempered ambition. Delayed ambition is still selfish. So what do you and I do today? We trust in God. We honor God. Don't worry about trying to get ahead. Don't worry about who sees. Don't worry about who's going to recognize. The only thing we have to know is that God sees everything. And because God sees everything, he records every single thing. And if God records everything, he'll also reward everything. David, he held himself back from taking matters into his own hands. He says, I'm going to trust in you, God. I'm going to trust in your justice. Don't fall for the lie that says that you got to cut corners in order for you to get ahead. Because what's going to happen is you'll fall for the lie that says you got to cut corners in order for you to not go behind. If, if you got to lie to your boss to get a promotion, you're going to have to keep lying to your boss to not get fired. If you have to lie to your spouse to, to earn their trust, you're going to have to keep lying to them to not have them walk out on you. You're, see, the, that trap and that, and, and that point is directed at us and it's going to continue to cut us. So rather than cutting corners, just commit yourself to doing the right thing. Leave the rest up to God. Lastly is this. We wait on God's timing by actively being patient. What do I mean by this? The right thing is not a one-time thing. See, the right thing has to be done consistently, has to be done constantly, and has to be done actively. If you ever go to a, a restaurant, what you'll see is a group of servers, and, and they're called waiters and waitresses. And you'll see this in some of the, the nicer restaurants or the restaurants that have a really, really high quality of customer service. See, these guys are actively waiting their tables. They're not just sitting there waiting for you to throw money in their laps. Their, their purpose is to serve the desires of the guests. And so if I was a waiter, it would be one right thing for me to go introduce myself and see if they want something to drink. It would be another right thing for me to actually give them their drink order. It would be one right thing for me to ask them what they wanted to eat. It'd be another right thing for me to deliver them the food. It'd be another right thing for me to see if everything's all right. It'd be another right thing for me to see if they need a refill and then clean up after they're gone. See, the individuals that actively wait on their tables the best are normally the ones at the end of the evening that have the greatest amount of tips. 
So for us, we have to actively wait on God. We have to serve the purposes of God. We have to serve the desires of God and not our own because we know that the wait will be worth it in the end. We know that he will reward us after the work is complete. And so David, he knew about the one who gave the reward because he had more than one occasion where he could have taken Saul's life. Saul kept trying to kill him and he had another opportunity to take his life. And this is what he says to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 26. The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal. And I refuse to kill you even when the Lord placed you in my power for you are the Lord's anointed one. Now may the Lord value my life even as I have valued yours today. May he rescue me from all of my troubles. David actively trusted God. He even proactively trusted God that he held himself back from taking matters into his own hands. And he wanted to serve the purposes of God rather than himself. He wanted to serve the desires of God. He knew that, that God's best was at the end of his timeline. So let me ask you today, are you willing to wait for God's best for your life? Or do you believe that because if it's God's will, I should have it right now. If it's God's will, then why wait, Lord? If, if God says that you're gonna have a job, Lord, then I, I'm gonna go ahead and buy everything I want before I even get paid. God, if you're saying you're gonna watch my kids, then why should I? I mean, there's no point of having two sets of eyes watching them. You probably watch them better than I do. So I don't have to love them. I don't have to teach them. I don't have to disciple them. No. If God says you're going to have a spouse, then all right, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and, and date whoever I want. And eventually I'll get the right one. No, that's ludicrous. We, know, we all know it doesn't work out that way. Impatience and instant gratification will never produce in us the fruit of God's spirit. It never produces us Christ-likeness. God's not up there in heaven like Santa Claus or like Oprah and say, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car and you get your spouse and you get what you want right now and you get what you want right here today. All of your pleasures is yours for the taking today, right now, right now, right now. No, we have to stop looking at God that way. What if we start looking at God more as a, a heavenly father that loves his children so much that he wants to see them grow and mature? For David, he could have easily said, I'm done waiting, God, it's over. This guy's, this guy's had it. You know, you give me more than one occasion where I could have taken his life. I'm done waiting. I'm going to go up there and take my throne right now and, and, and kill this guy and off this guy. But he didn't do it because he knew what it would have cost him. It would have cost him the favor of God. It would have cost him the blessings of God. He saw from the previous king, King Saul, what would happen if he did that. He knew that a crown could never stay on long on the head of a crooked king. So if David took his route, he knew eventually he would lose the very promise that God says you can have. So today, we have to be challenged to say, I'm willing to go the hard road. 
I am willing to go the difficult road. I'm willing to go the uncomfortable road because I know God's best has a perfect timing and I don't want to settle for anything less than the desired outcome. Where are you at today? Are you experiencing God's best for your life right now? See, waiting on on God's timing is the difference between the best that you can get on your own right now to the best that God can give you in what he produces in you through his process. What if each and every one of us right now wanted what God wanted for us, wanted God's best for our lives today? What would it look like? for marriages all across America, all across our, our city, all across our region, even in our homes. If people would stop walking away from marriages because they don't look like the picture-perfect marriage right now and said, you know what, I'm going to keep waiting. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep loving. I'm going to keep praying. Yeah, right now my kids are acting a fool, but you know what, I'm going to keep training them up in the way of God because I know that if I train them up in the way of God, they're not going to depart from it afterwards. If, if, if my job right now, rather than looking at the promotion I can get, look at it as the the mission field that I'm in right now and say, God, I'm going to serve my boss like I'm serving you. Whether he recognizes me or she recognizes me or not, whether I get that raise or get that promotion, I'm going to keep doing it right now. What would God's best look like for Lifehouse, for you and I, for our city? Maybe you're here today and you want God's best for your life. You've experienced the best that you can get, and it's not even good, not even close to being good enough. If you've never acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can assure you God's best for you is a brand new life. And I'm telling you right now, the wait is over because the work was completed on the cross. So here's your response today. Repent of your sin, anything that drives you away from God and all things good, and believe by faith in what Christ has done for you. Accept his forgiveness and allow his spirit to lead you into a life that pleases him and produces patience in you. If you're a Christ follower, how are you waiting? Are you just waiting there, waiting for God's best to fall on your lap? Because that doesn't work out that way. That's just called laziness. Or, or are you actually pursuing the things of God so you can experience his very best for you? How are you waiting? Are you serving his pleasures? Are you serving his purposes and his desires? More so, what's in your hand? David saw what was in his hand and he dropped it. He says, Lord forbid that I take, take out the Lord's anointed. Maybe right now there's some corners that that you've been trying to cut because, God, you're taking way too long, so I'm just going to do this just a little bit at a time, just cutting that corner, cutting that corner. What's that corner that God's saying, I need you to drop it today? Repent, ask for forgiveness. I truly believe that the best is yet to come and God's best is coming to us, but, but it comes at the right time and it requires for us to do the right thing. I want us to take some time right now to, to ask God to speak to us individually where we're at. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. 
We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.